friends, how are y'all? Wonderful. Well, hey, as Isaac mentioned, we're in week five of a five-week message series called Love Songs, where we've been looking at love, sex, dating, and it's the fifth week. In the middle of it, we had this legacy adult, young adult banquet. This is the fifth week, and we're talking about marriage. And so we're going to jump right into looking at what marriage is. But let me just say this. If you were with us last week, we talked about singleness. And uh, I have made a pretty hard sell that singleness is the default posture of a disciple in the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament is written, a pejor, a major, uh, the majority of the New Testament is written by single adults, and the vision of the, the Christian life in the New Testament is predominantly a single, um, a single deal. So, uh, having said all of that, I want to hold that intention with this. If you're someone who's here today and you go, hey, I, th- I think maybe the single life is for me, then I, uh, here's the benefit for you. Uh, today's content is going to help you minister to your married friends, okay? But if you're someone who's here single today and thinks maybe God's going to move you in that trajectory trajectory for the rest of your life, um, uh, you know, this may not be for you personally. It can be for something uh, that you're going to, you're going to, someone you're going to minister to. If you're single, however, and you think God's going to move you towards marriage, uh, then uh, what we're going to talk about today is the vision for the married life um, as someone is thinking about stepping in from singleness into marriage. Uh, because marriage is very different uh, than singleness. Marriage is very different than dating, and we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But our whole goal with today, my whole goal, is try to give us a clear picture of what it's like not just to get married, but a clear picture of what it's like to be married, so that those of us who are thinking through those issues or maybe thinking about being married one day don't go in with maybe uh, a naive view of marriage. We can go in with a sober expectation of what it's going to be like. Some of you, you know, you hear that I use the word sober and you're like, oh my gosh, is he just going to tell us all these horror stories of marriage? Like, this seems like a big downer. This is not going to be a big downer. This is, however, going to try to set at least the record partially straight in terms of what I think the Bible is trying to communicate about the role that marriage plays in the life of ministry uh, for those who want to follow Jesus. And so to set us up for this today, I want to tell you a story uh, about uh, the time I tried to, um, or I was involved in starting a church plan or a multi-site. So when I lived in Texas, when Isaac and I were working at a church in Texas, um, our church decided we were going to start a multi-site. We were going to start a different church campus in another part of town, much like what we're doing at First Orlando with our Horizon West campus. Uh, and so I was tabbed to be the campus pastor, and we were having all these preliminary conversations about what it's like to start a church plant. Uh, and so we had this day come where we had our uh, initial service and gathering and we got it going. And we had like one of the portable church situations, you know, where like you get there at five in the morning. We met in actually in the um, Major League Soccer Stadium in Dallas, which is FC Dallas, if you guys follow Major League Soccer. Which, by the way, Major League Soccer kicks off in a week, right? Are we excited about that? Orlando City looking strong this year, right? Well, at FC Dallas Stadium, which is right down the street from our house in, in Frisco, Texas, we, that's where we met. We actually met in the bar of the soccer stadium, which I think is a great place to meet if you're starting a church plant, right? Uh, so, but we had to get there at 5.30 in the morning. We had to set up everything. We had to like clean up leftover alcohol that was on the ground and other things like that. We had to move chairs and move tables and get everything set up. And we got going and we were in it a, a couple of weeks. And if you've ever been part of a church plan or a multi-site plan, it's really tough work. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to launch it off the ground, and we were enjoying it, and we were liking it, but I was having one of these days where I was going, I'm not sure this is quite worth it. What have I got myself into? This has kind of been my experience of following Jesus, right? You jump in, you're like, I'm following Jesus, 
And like three weeks in, you're like, I made a terrible mistake. What am I doing, right? Like, oh my gosh, like I'm giving up my entire life to follow Jesus? Okay, I think I'm okay with this, right? I'm just trying to be honest with you, okay? Anyway, and so I was a little bit discouraged, and one of my buddies called me. He's a medical doctor uh, in Tennessee, and I was telling him about this church plant we were starting, and he, he gave me this great advice. Uh, and I wrote it down because I want to make sure I quote it correctly. Here's what he said. He said, listen, the thing you have to realize, Doug, is that one organization can transform the world. One new organization, as it launches, it has the power to transform the world. Think about Facebook. One new organization transformed the world, right? Created this whole category of social media. Uh, You think about any new businesses. Some of you in here are business owners, or you're thinking about starting your own business soon, and you start that new company and it has the power to transform the, the world around it, right? This new product comes to market, this new service, it transforms the culture around you. But you think about uh, new churches, right? You start a new church in a new part of the city where there's darkness and you bring light to that, to that city and it has the, 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 the power to transform the world around it. You start a new life group in a particular city where there hasn't been a church community, it's the power to transform the world around it. Well, this is true of all organizations. One organization can transform the world. But the Apostle Paul, what we're going to look at today, the the Apostle Paul who wrote this book in the New Testament um, called uh, this letter to the Ephesians, um, he wants to say something about marriage. Marriage is actually, it's it's an organization. it's It's a company. It's this thing where two partners get together, and when it starts, it has the power to transform the world around it. And that's what I want us to look at today as we think about marriage. So if you have your Bibles, you can open or you can look on the screen or look on your handout. We're looking at Ephesians chapter five. Um, And Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, uh, which is a town that's kind of in the Turkey, Greece area. It's right to this small group of Christians who meet there. And he's talking about husbands and wives. And the reason he's talking about husbands and wives is a lot of these people, they've gotten married and they, you know, it's like a lot of us who got married, right? We jumped in, we we're like, marriage, yay! And then like, you know, the second year in, we were like, hey, I haven't thought this all the way through. Like there are these challenges that are unique to marriage that I didn't quite think through. Like she brushes her teeth and I don't know about that. There's just something weird about the brushing the teeth. Like uh, Britt Brit Kelly or Britt Nelson has this great bit about people like girls putting on their makeup. Like they make certain faces. And like the first time you see the makeup face, you're like, that's not pleasant, right? <laughs> Like it's pleasant when you have makeup on, but the applying of it is a little tricky, right? So you just have all these things you're not ready for. And so these people are talking to Paul and they're going, Paul, what do we do about marriage? This is weird. Like being in a room with this person all the time, like how do we approach this? And so Paul is deciding he's gonna write some very practical truth to these married couples. And here's what he says. Verse 22 of chapter five, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the, uh, by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
There's one big thing I want you guys to notice from this passage, and we're going to sidestep the whole idea of submission here. I'm happy to have that conversation with you uh, if you want to. Uh, I don't really want to get into that or kind of sidestep kind of the particulars of what husbands are doing and giving up their lives for their wives, although I generally think that's a very good thing to do. Uh, What I want you to do is take maybe a 60,000-foot view of this passage here. And, and really notice this one, th- one thing, which is actually three blanks if you want to fill it in. I want you to notice the strategy, the roles, and the intentionality. I want you to notice the strategy, the roles, and the intentionality. Paul had an opportunity to say anything about marriage here. But he didn't come in and go, well, you know, if you guys are going to get married, I guess that's a good thing. Like, just, you know get married. And they're like, hey, help us out. Like year two is really tough. Well, you know, you just got to love each other. And as the eagles say, love will keep you alive. And it's just, you know, love each other and just be cool. And, you know, Paul's not willy-nilly about things. He's not incomplete in terms of his thoughts. Paul says there's a particular strategy. There's some roles. There's an intentionality to being husbands and wives. Uh, wives, there's a general way of loving your husband that's going to look a lot like this idea of submission, which is not you being a walking mat. This is you learning to kind of posture yourself in such a way that your husband goes, oh, don't be an idiot, right? That's what submission is. It's the wife lovingly tell the husband, don't be an idiot right now. And the husband goes, oh yeah, I shouldn't be an idiot. Thank you, right? And husbands should generally adopt this role of loving their wives and giving himself up for her like a a, a secret, uh, you, you know, secret agent would give up his life for the president, right? This is the idea. There's this self-sacrificial love here. There are these particular roles and these values that husbands and wives are supposed to champion. And it's uh, strategic. It's organized. There's something going on here. And I want you guys just to take note of this. If, if you're going to get married, if you're someone who in the future is thinking about marriage, you should understand from the get-go, it's something intentional, you don't accidentally get married, right? No one just uh, accidentally wakes up and is like, oh, I'm married, right? Now that happens in Vegas sometimes, but I mean, I know all of you are thinking that. We're like, well, have you ever been to Vegas, Doug? Bless your heart, pastor. You've never been to Vegas. This happens all the time, right? Uh, and I'm not denying that that happens, right? But I'm saying the Christian marriage, the marriage that's wanting to live the ideal of Jesus happens intentionally. It doesn't happen accidentally. People don't back their way into marriage where they're just like, well, you know, I'm 30 and you're 30 and it hasn't happened yet. So uh, you want to go, right? Let's call Doug and, you know, I don't know, make it happen. Meet at the courthouse, whatever, right? No, no one accidentally gets married. Uh, Christians don't accidentally get married. There's a strategy. It's intentional. And I want to talk a little bit about what that strategy looks like here this evening. Uh, The second thing I want you to understand here is this. The closest parallel to this view of marriage, the strategic marriage, is not dating The closest parallel to this view of marriage isn't dating. If marriage is strategic and intentional, um, understand that dating is an okay parallel, but it's not the closest parallel. It's not the best analogy for thinking about what marriage feels like as a married person. And this is a problem because most of us, if we are in America, the way we prepare for marriage is by dating, right? But here's the thing. Uh, I was thinking through uh, SAT um, you know, strategies. And, and so I came up with this. Um, dating is to marriage as apples are to frogs, okay? Dating is to marriage as apples are to frogs. In other words, uh, there's not a lot of continuity at times, okay? And here's the reason why. Uh, dating 
uh, is like, you know, it's to some extent sometimes a little less than structured, uh, unless you're like me and you create a dating experiment, right? But for most of us, it's just like I see somebody and I notice them and I like walk across the room as this epic music plays in the background. You know, they're playing Don't You Forget About Me and I'm holding the boombox, right? And I'm like, hey, listen, would you like to go on a date? And they're like, I don't know, sure. And then we've got to like text for like six weeks to figure out where you're going to get, you know, actually settle on. And then you go there and you eat. And Do you want to keep going? I don't know. Do you want to keep going, right? At no point in marriage are you ever like, you know, honey, it's been nice seeing you tonight, uh, so I'll call you next week, right? That's a terrible marriage, right? Dating is not like that. This is why, this is why so many people who are really good at dating, and this is none of us in here, but we have friends, right? So good at dating, right? I mean, he's just on time, drops the girl off, respects the boundaries, just so cool. And then they get married and they're like really terrible at being married, right? And we have friends who are that way. They're so good at dating and they're so, it's such a struggle for them being married. And here's the reason why. Dating is not at all a lot like marriage, okay? It's just, it's just not. Um, you live in the same room with someone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, okay? So there's this whole roommate scenario, which is not like dating, right? And it's just different. So dating is an okay precursor or preview to marriage. That's what I wanna say. It's just not strategic enough. So let me give you a, what I think is a better analogy, something that's better gonna prepare you to think about what it feels like to be married. It's not dating. The closest parallel to marriage is a business partnership. It's a business partnership. It's an organization, okay? So, and you know this to be true because uh, you grow up in a home and you have parents and your parents have friends. Okay, this is a pretty common story, right? Your parents, you know, you come home from something and your parents are like frantic, they're moving around. They're like, hey, listen, I need you to go clean up your room. And you're like, why, what's going on? They're like, hey, clean up the room, clean up the living room. I'm giving you chores. You're like, why, it's Tuesday, chore day is Thursday. What's going on here? And they all have this panic look on their face. You guys know what I'm talking about. They're like, hey, clean up, the, clean up this room, clean up that room, uh, go sweep the driveway, like mow the lawn, edge, right? Clean out all the lizards from everywhere in the state of Florida, drain the swamp in the backyard, just get everything looking perfect. You're like, why, what's going on? We have company coming over, right? Company, business, organization. I think we understand this. Marriage is a company. That's why you have company that comes over. It's another marriage, right? That's what it is. You understand a business partnership. That's what marriage is. Think about if you dated, if you dated the way that you would recruit a business partner joining a potential venture with you, right? At no point would this pass for dating. Like if you sat down with somebody and you're like, uh, so tell me, why would you like to be my date uh, for a season or why you're applying to be my husband in this relationship? Well, I'm really good looking. Well, thank you for coming in, right? <laughs> okay, that's a terrible reason to be a business partner, right? Or uh, so what do you like to do on the weekends? Well, I like to spend a lot of money. Mm, well, the secretary will see you on the way out and she'll uh, fill you in. Well, you may hear from me later. If you don't, then that means it didn't work out, right? No, if you were dating, like you were scouting a business partner, you would sit down and have this strategy. You'd be looking for someone who compliments you, who helps you to get things done because you know that what you're doing is you're starting something that's potentially gonna change the world. And so you need to make sure you have the best, wisest partner with you for the long haul. Um, I know lots of people that they're great at dating, they're terrible at married, but they're good in business and their business looks really good. Their marriage looks not so good. And I just wonder, I wonder what would happen if they would apply their business principles to their marriage, right? 
And so that's what I want to do here today is talk about what if marriage looked like a business partnership? And I don't know how many of you have experience in business. You maybe worked in the world. Maybe you think organizationally. But really, when you think about marriage, what you're talking about is this very critical partnership that produces a common good that benefits society. And I want to talk to you practically about what that looks like. And so I'm going to answer this question right here. What does change the world, a change the world marriage look like? What does a change the world marriage look like? And to explain this, to talk about what a, a marriage that, that functions as a business partnership and the, and, the, and the principles that come from that, what it looks like, I, I, want us to, I want us to have a wedding here today. Can we do that? Like right now, I want to have a wedding ceremony, okay? And so I need a bride and groom who are going to help me with this. So where's Thomas and Kathy? You guys are engaged. Where's Thomas and Kathy? Thomas and Kathy, where are y'all at? Okay, there's Kathy. Where's your fiance? Right here. Okay. So you guys, are, you guys are getting married in July, okay? Proud graduates of Clemson University, right? Where's Courtney? Clemson? Yeah, go Tigers. There you go. Okay, so Thomas, Kathy, you guys just can come stand down front right here. This is Thomas. This is Kathy with a K. Their married name is Tomcat, okay? So you guys come stand right here. There you go. Hold on. I got to remember. Is this the way it is? Yeah, okay, good. All right, so by the way, groom's friends bride's friends, okay? Team bride, team groom. We actually had to set it up today with the middle aisle because we needed the wedding ceremony, okay? So you guys are good for right now. This is where you'll ultimately end up, but we'll do some rearranging. Okay, I need a father of the bride. So where's Mike Nelson at? Okay, come on, Mike. The only man tall enough to be the father of the bride in the room. Okay, here we go. So that's okay. You just can kind of stand. Actually, Mike can stand by me on stage. This is great. Um, there you go. Mike is married to Britt and helps run our Disney ministry, if you guys don't know that. All right, so we need a, 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 we need a best man. Where's my homie Will Adderley at? Will Adderley, whose life goal is to be the best man at every wedding he's in. So, so guys, if you need a best man at your wedding, this is your guy, Will. Okay, I don't have anybody else, but I think we need like three more groomsmen and we need, oh, we need a maid of honor. Who do you want? We can recruit anybody you want in the room. It's a lot of pressure, but this is not unlike a wedding, right? You, ha you have all the pressure of picking them. Okay, do you, want two? do you want two of them? Okay, hey, where's Christine Jones? Christine Jones, yeah, roommate Christine Jones. Now this doesn't mean you're really the best woman, okay? I'm just saying, just for right now. Okay, so I need three, okay, I, I need three dudes and three ladies who just say, I don't mind kind of being a little bit embarrassed and being up front, okay? So Zachary, okay, what's your name? Okay, Cesar, okay, nice to meet you. Tristan, Liana. okay, okay, this is good, okay. All right, so this is the brow party. So I'm gonna need you, Cesar, uh, Cesar, back up. Okay, Will, I want you to stand right here. Okay, uh, can you get actually on the ground? Can y'all scoot back a little bit? Let's go. Okay, so you guys, okay, you guys scoot back a little bit. Okay, so I want y'all to stay here, and Mike, if you can escort uh, uh, Kathy back here, we're gonna actually have this, okay? So. You guys get ready. Alec, if you could get the music ready. Not yet, not yet. Hold on. I need to put on my official stuff. Hold on. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Okay, there we go. All right. There we go. Okay, there we go. All right. Okay, here we go. Okay, yeah. Okay, now remember, right over left, right over left, 
Okay, right, just like this. Okay, good. Thomas, you just be cool. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to walk through a wedding ceremony. And at each moment, I'm going to stop and just explain what's going on and how uh, this act in a wedding ceremony actually is a good metaphor or a principle for something bigger for a world-changing marriage, okay? Just give you a little bit of DVD commentary as we go, except no one watches DVDs anymore, so I don't know what that, this is a podcast commentary on a marriage. How about that, okay? So if we could play the, the wedding march right now, DJ Alec, you guys can walk to the front. Up, the mother of the bride stood, so everybody stand up. Up, yeah, you gotta stand up. Okay, there we go. Let it play. She's crying. Thomas is crying. Isaac, Kathy's mom is crying. So, all right. Okay. So anybody wanting to be a pastor, that's good, DJ Alex. Thank you. So this is the most important thing. The first thing you do is you welcome everybody, and then you pray, and then you have them take a seat. Because if you don't say sit down, they will stand for the entire wedding, okay? So pretend I welcomed all of y'all, and I prayed and said amen, and you guys can be seated. Thank you for coming here today. Okay, very good. So at this point, what I'm going to say, if I'm a pastor, is um, who gives this woman today in marriage? And you're going to say, I do. Now, there's two important things that have gone in here. Don't give her away yet. There's two important things that have happened at this point, as you know. Number one, uh, you have Kathy, who is probably walking down wearing some type of shade of white in the dress, okay? Now, occasionally, people can wear off-white, or they can do different things, but the traditional color in a wedding is to wear white. And white symbolizes purity. Um, and the way we've kind of reduced that idea is it just means sexual purity, right? So it's like she's never had sex with anybody, and that's why she's wearing the white dress. And some of you are making more cynical comments, because if you know the bride has been rather sexually active, you're like, oh, that should be off-white, right? And some of us make those mean, snide things. And you're laughing because some of you have, you know, thought that, or you have friends who've thought that before and said it to you, and you've said, don't say that in a church. We're before God, right? Uh, I want to remove the kind of sexual mores from this moment and just talk about it again uh, in terms of business, again, this is a partnership that's happening. The, the wearing of white actually symbolizes the fact that there's purity to the launch of this uh, organization. There's purity to the launch of this startup. Uh, it's a startup. The marriage is a startup. This is not a merger that's happening. This is not two companies merging and now just forming this corporation where they're kind of doing their own thing and there's stock options and there's things out. This is a startup company. It's a new thing that's happening. It's a new organization that's giving birth. It's starting from the purity and the naivety of building something from the ground up. And so the reason the bride wears white is because she's symbolizing the purity of this new thing uh, that's happening right here. That's the first thing I want you guys to notice. The second thing I want you to notice is how many people are standing up front, right? We got four groomsmen, we got four bridesmaids, and we have a dad um, or some other family member who's giving the bride away. And this is a really interesting thing that happens because once the, the dad gives the bride away, he is transferring the covenant headship from himself to the husband. The husband's now the head of that family. See, right now, if you haven't handed off, you're the head of the family. She's still on your books. Okay, so I'm saying, you're paying for things. If it's in the middle of the night, she's like, my car broke down. She's calling you, right? But when this happens, go ahead and hand her off. Go ahead, and you can hand her off now. Yes. There we go. You hand her off. And go ahead, take, join her hands, Thomas. You're good. You're good. See, now it's been transferred. Middle of the night, car breaks down. She's not calling dad. She's calling you. 
This is now, um, there's something beautiful that's happened here beyond that. It's that there's been this community that's already bought in to this relationship. Whether it's a dad or an uncle or some other family member, you got friends standing here, there are investors in this company. Investors are crucial. They're a crucial aspect of a healthy, world-changing marriage. There's a, there's a group of people that are committing to invest in terms of prayer, financially, uh, using other resources, networking, to invest in this new marriage. Uh, the, the idea that two people get married and live on their own on an island and they're happy, that is a myth. That doesn't happen. All successful marriages have investors who are investing. There's no way to get a startup off the ground unless you have people investing in it. And that's what's happening here. The next thing that you would notice here and the next thing that happens in a wedding ceremony is that there's a pastoral charge. Someone like myself would stand up here and open the Bible and just talk to you guys for about two hours about, you know, things we've learned in premarital counseling. And we would just go through every gory detail in front of everybody, right? That's, well, kind of that would happen. In my weddings, that doesn't happen. But at some people, that happens. My weddings, it's about a five to 10 minute encouraging uh, portion from scripture. And there's a reason why we do this. Because world-changing marriages, they're built on uh, founding documents, okay? Every startup company needs founding documents. If you've ever started a company before, or you work for a startup, you know that there are these these founding documents, the registration of your company, the bylaws, if you have a board, if you're a nonprofit, or some of the rules that are gonna govern how you do financing or how you do some other things. And these aren't just things you look at once a month. These are things that speak to the ethos of what you're doing. It speaks to the very culture of your business. And world-changing marriages are the ones that are built on the founding document of the word of God. That the Bible is not just something they look at once a month or once a week, or you know they open it every so often when they're trying to go to sleep and they're like, Netflix isn't working. Let's turn to Isaiah. Perfect. Okay, I'll be asleep in ten minutes. Right? It's not that. You're saying, hey, the Bible is what we stand upon. It's the foundation of our company. And the reason the pastor encourages us in a wedding ceremony is because we're establishing before God and before our friends, our investors, and before all of the people here that we're going to build our company on this founding document. What it says is how we live, right? The next thing I want you to notice here, next thing that generally happens is that there are two things and they're important. There are vows and then there are rings. Now this is super important. Vows are internal resource commitments. I'm making a commitment of my character to you. I'm making a commitment of my character to you. It's very internal. The next thing that happens are rings, right? So you got a, you got a ring you gave Kathy at some point. Could you re-put it on her finger again? Okay, just let's symbolize. So take your ring, put it halfway on her ring finger, right? Look deep into her eyes and repeat after me. I'm kidding. We won't go into that, right? <laughs> but this is what you'll do in July, right? The reason you have a ring next is because that's now an external capital commitment. It's an external resource commitment. In other words, the love that you've communicated in terms of your character has expressed itself externally in this physical token of your love, right? It's not just, I love you emotionally. I'm prepared now to love you with my actions. Um, and there is a financial buy-in. Can, can I just pause here and talk about this for just a little bit? Really what we're talking about from a business standpoint is that world-changing marriages, in addition to having investors, in addition to being a startup, in addition to being found, uh, based on the founding documents, they require capital investments, right? You're gonna have to put some capital in this. Um, Natalie and I were talking to a couple one time many years ago, 
and we were asking them about their story, like, how'd you guys come together? And we got to the, the, the notion of the ring, right? Oh, let's look at the ring. And the girls are like, yeah, look. And the guys are like, uh, yeah, like, like, it's a band. It's ugly. There's nothing on it. That's what I wanted. I'm a guy. That's right. Uh, but the girl's doing this thing right here. And so we were like, well, tell us the story. Like, how did you pick this ring out? And the guy was like, well, you know, I didn't really have a lot of money. So my dad just gave me a lot of money and I went and bought the ring. And we were like, time out. Wait, 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 wait. So what's your investment in this, in this future marriage? Like, well, and you know, I was, you know, I gonna, right. and that was not a good answer, right? Because you're like, wait, 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 wait. How are you going to provide for this person you're getting married to in six months? And they're like, well, you know, we'll try to find, you know, I mean, I'll rely on parents. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not a great way to start a marriage. You got to get some kind of job and some kind of savings plan and invest in a ring. The ring is not just an accoutrement of a marriage, it's a symbol that you're willing to put some skin in the game, that you're gonna invest your own capital in this relationship so that two years in, if you guys don't have enough food, you're gonna tell her, hey, see that ring on the finger? I'll go get a job and I'll provide for you in this relationship, right? Ladies, if he comes to you and he proposes and he didn't pay anything for the ring, if he found it in a Cracker Jack box and he was like, this seemed good enough, run for the hills, okay? Can I just tell you that? It doesn't have to be the most elaborate ring ever. When I got married to Natalie, I didn't have a lot of money. In fact, I'll tell you this story. I saved up an amount to pay for this ring and I had that amount. And then this lady came to our church and needed money. And I felt really like convicted I should give her some money. And so I like took $75 out of the ring fund to give to her and then later found out that she was a scam artist and she took money from me. And to this day, every time I look at Nellie's ring, I think $75 would have added maybe a smaller diamond there, right? Just along the sides. And I just think about that. Uh, but that's not a knock on Natalie's ring. That's a reminder, hey, even when I didn't have a lot of money, I could invest in this ring as a token of my commitment to our partnership, which was gonna change the world, right? So it's not only the vows, the internal commitment you're making, it's the ring, the external capital investment that you're willing to invest in your partnership, right? So you guys would do rings and vows and you would have that moment. And you know, at this point, uh, the thing that happens next in a wedding, if you're paying attention, if you're keeping score, is that the, the, the bride and groom will typically do one uh, act together as their first act as a married couple, uh, unity candle the sand thing, right? Where there's like different people pour sand. It's my favorite thing to do in an outdoor wedding is the sand thing. Like if it's really breezy, cause you're like, let me pour this in and sand just goes and it sandblasts the bride. That's why the brides have a veil because you know they're doing a sand thing outdoors and it's protecting the eyes from the sand coming up. I'm just kidding, that's not why that happens. Um, you, do the, you do the candles, which also blow out in an outdoor wedding, think it through. Uh, there's foot washing, right? There's communion. There's you take like a, a two ropes and you tie a knot together. There's lots of different first things that you can do together uh, at a wedding ceremony. Uh, that, what it is isn't unimportant. Here's what's important. What's important is you're establishing a new culture. When you take communion together for the first time as a married couple, you're doing it apart from your parents. You're building a new business culture. You're communicating. We're having communion together on our own. We have left and cleft, right? Well, we've left right now. Later on, we're gonna cleft. But right now, you guys didn't get that joke. Some of you got that joke, right? You're, you're leaving, you're, you're, you're diving in, and you're saying, we're doing this on our own. We're having our own culture that we're establishing. We are different from our parents now. Uh, and this is a new thing that we've got going. So you guys... 
have your first act together, and then when you get back together, you now have something that's really interesting. And this is where the business analogy doesn't quite follow through. You, uh, you get back together, I pronounce you husband and wife, and I say, you may kiss your bride, not now, right? But you may kiss your bride. Wait, do you want to kiss her? Like, are you okay with kissing? Uh, okay, I don't know. I feel like I put you on the spot. Okay, you can kiss your bride now. Sorry, you can kiss your fiance. Yay, okay. Church kiss, okay, just church kiss, right? So you have, you have the kissing of the bride moment right here, right? And this is what's interesting. Um, the physical... The physical expression of affection happens last. It's lastly important. It's not unimportant. It's just the last important thing. Um, In the Christian worldview, in the Christ-centered worldview, the physical affection is often something that happens along the way. In the dating process, it happens. In the partnership starting to come together and forming, it happens along the way. And so it's only fitting that kissing the bride would happen at the end of a marriage ceremony because you're saying, This is not the first thing that brought us together. It's something that that was a surprise along the way. The reason we ultimately moved from dating to engagement to marriage is because there was an important um, chemistry and an affection component. I think if there was a pagan wedding, if if two non-Christians, and you may be a non-Christian who's here today, and this isn't a knock on you, but I think by and large, if non-Christians were super honest and they were having a wedding ceremony, they would kiss first, right? because that follows the order of how a lot of our culture teaches us how to get married, right? You meet somebody, you hook up. If the hookups go well, you move in together. If, if moving in together, you don't kill one another, then you go, eh, do you wanna get married? And you think about that for five years. And if you don't break up at that time, then you go, well, I guess we'll go to the courthouse today and you get married. That's the process of, of a lot of our friends and the way they get going. And again, I'm not knocking that. I'm saying this is descriptively true of how it operates. In a Christian marriage, however, it's something we save to the end because it's not that it's the cherry on top. It's something that when all the ingredients work, we finally get to express this version of love uh, for one another in the affectionate, okay? And so to recap here in this moment, the things that uh, the hallmarks of a world-changing marriage are these. Number one, we keep in mind that marriage is a startup. It's not a merger partnership. Marriage is a startup. And if you want to write these down, you can go for it. I see some people taking notes and y'all are all good students writing this down. Look at you. Number two, uh, you need investors. You need investors. Okay, people here, the guy, dad giving the bride away. You need investors. Number three, uh, the Bible becomes your founding document. The Bible becomes your founding document. Number four, vows and rings indicate the commitment of personal capital in the relationship the commitment of personal capital in the relationship. The first act together um, establishes a new company culture. You're establishing a new culture. Uh, And finally, uh, the affection develops along the way. Affection, physical affection develops along the way. When you get here, at this point, you go, hey, you guys have the right ingredients to get married. And so on behalf of today and all these things, I'm not gonna make it official, but I now get to pronounce you husband and wife. Do you have exit music, Alec? Do you have exit music ready? Okay, make it rap music, because Thomas loves rap music. Here we go. I now pronounce you Mr. and Mrs. husband and wife. You've already kissed your bride, so that happens, so you now may process this way. So can we cheer for our new husband and wife? Yay! You got it? Hey, you guys were really good sports and all this, and especially the participants. And uh, here's what I wanna say on that. Uh, our desire around here is if you're someone who's going to get married, 
What I want you to do when you move into marriage is understand that marriage, like any other organization, it's something that when it's done right, it has the power to change the world. And I was trying to think of a key illustration to really tie this in. I thought the best way to do it was just to tell you, uh, to to interview uh, my good friend, Britt Nelson, whose husband, Mike, gave uh, Kathy away. And so I want to invite Britt to come up here and just talk about her story and how her life is impacted by a key married couple. So you guys welcome Britt to the stage here. I think it's on. Hi, Britt. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Was it weird to see your husband? Like, yeah, my kids got away? married. It yeah. was awesome. That's right. Now, uh, Britt and Mike are celebrating one year of marriage on St. Patrick's Day this year, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. congratulations to you guys. Thank you. Hey, talk to us a little bit. Give us a 30-second recap of how you grew up. Just to give everybody a sense of kind of where you were, especially like early high school years, right? (laughs) Yep. So I grew up in a non-Christian family. Um, Everyone in my family, uh, even distant aunts and uncles are divorced. Um, Mike and I right now are the only people in my whole family that are married. Um, I, my parents got divorced when I was very young and my dad quickly was out of the picture. Um, very uh, well known in Alabama as um, a gang leader and a drug dealer and things. If you go to Decatur, Alabama and ask about Chris Kelly, everyone will know who my dad is. Um, He's everybody just a drug guy. So he was out of my life from, from the time I was little. And my mom ended up living with a guy. She still lives with him for 20 years. They have never gotten married, but they've lived together for 20 years. He's my stepdad. Um, and when I, growing up in a non-Christian family, you know, I didn't go to, I didn't even go to like Christmas and Easter church. I didn't even know that people read their, like had Bibles. Like I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I thought it was a very sacred book that like priests somewhere had to read in some building. I was completely clueless. So uh, basically I went to a youth group when I was 16. Uh, my friend, my best friend got saved at a church camp, invited me to church. Um, I went, gave my life to Jesus. And um, I had never had a picture of what a healthy marriage was ever. Not even friends. All my friends parents also were divorced. That was very common in the town I lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So wait, give us a better, give us a little snapshot. What is, you're 16 when you first became a Christian? Yes. Okay. What's 16-year-old Brit like, like first couple of weeks of being a Christian? <laughs> Not good. I, I, have, I have no idea. I'm just asking him. I'll be horrified yeah. with everybody. Uh, okay. So 16-year-old Brit, let's see. I was a, a big party girl, um, cheerleader at my school on the dance team as well, cussed every other word. The F-bomb was the big, like probably my most used word. Okay. Uh, listened to Tupac a lot. Um, I know you're a Christian. Good. Okay. Yeah, I was a Christian. <laughs> um, and so my first few weeks in church were me walking around around quoting every song that I shouldn't and saying the F word in every Bible study that I was a part of at this church. Okay, so help us understand, why are you like dropping F-bombs in Bible studies? Uh, the, I didn't understand Christian culture compared to just the world's culture. Like I didn't know that there were two, that that wasn't okay. Um, I remember being, I remember being a part of like a women's Bible study and I was the only one in the room that was under 60. I just like walked in, uh, to check out what it was about. And this was a small church. This was not a mega church like First Orlando. It was a smaller church, uh, probably max 500 people. 
at the church on Sunday morning. So this Bible study was like 20 people, like elderly women. And I remember them talking through, I don't even remember what we were talking through, but it was on some subject in Ephesians. And I was like, y'all, this is effing awesome. Like I remember <laughs> saying that and all the 60 year olds were like, okay, honey. Like they're like, bless your heart. All right, let's leave. Like it was really awkward. Um, so that was kind of 16 year old Brit for the first, first at least month of my life. Okay, more rebellious, more unaware. Both. Okay. <laughs> I was I was more definitely more unaware because I did not have a healthy view of Christianity. Like no one in my family was a Christian and I didn't grow up in church. So I was super unaware. Um and the more I became aware, the less rebellious I was. But I didn't understand that that was sinful. No one, no one had ever in my life sat me down and taught me that that was wrong. Like, um, I came from a family that from when I was little, you know, when I was five, like, m- my family would laugh at me if I cussed. You know, it would be like, ha, ha, Britt said the F word. And I'm like a five-year-old. So it, it's a very... Uh, broken, messed up family that I come from. So I was unaware. Okay, so let me just make sure I stop and mention this. You hear this all the time when you watch news and they'll mention, you know, kids who grow up with Brit's story. Uh, You're in a a major city by the time you're 16, you're outside Cincinnati, is that right? Okay, so Cincinnati, major city, but you're living in a suburb? Uh, no, I was, I, if you guys don't know, I grew up in the ghetto. Um, it was the, one of the top impoverished neighborhoods in Ohio. Um, so the, the people that I grew up with were not the best influencers. We, right. um, I grew up with my grandparents, um, and we were living off of social one, social security check a month. So I grew up on food stamps and the whole government aid, the whole nine yards, um, so, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't the so, best situation. So keep this in mind. Here's the picture. Food stamps, broken families, living with grandparents, no, uh, very little awareness of what Christianity is, uh, in a cycle of kind of working poverty. Uh, you've heard all the statistics. This Brit is, by all accounts, someone who should have ended up in jail, uh, in prostitution, or uh, dead. Those are kind of the three. Those are the three trajectories. I will for tell you guys that, that in my high school, most of my friends now are either in jail, prostitutes, or dead. Yeah, so yeah. that's Brit's trajectory. So you have to ask the question: like, what gets Brit, someone like Brit, from that moment to this moment right here where she is today? And so talk to us about the couple that kind of came into your life. Yeah, so when I was 16, like I said, the first few weeks, I was dropping F-bombs in elderly Bible studies. So, um, and, <laughs> and you, uh, hold on, you wouldn't <laughs> recommend that. <laughs> Don't do that, okay? Um, <laughs> the elderly women at First Orlando were probably more caring than the elderly women that were at this church. First Orlando uh, legacy adults go hard, man. They're not They're scared, awesome. So, yeah. Hard in the paint, yeah. So they, um, so yeah, so the first few weeks uh, were hard for me, but I, if, if you've heard my whole testimony, I quickly uh, uh, turned my life around and it was, uh, this church was uh, very legalistic. It was KJV only you can only dress a certain way when you um, come in on Sunday mornings, like that type of thing. Um, so they were not exactly, the, the theology they believed was not exactly the best. 
But I will tell you that I loved that I got saved in that church because the youth pastor at the time, um, him and his wife were 100% the reason that I came out to be who I am. Um, they, their names are Tyler and Misty Green. At the time, they were 30, maybe, maybe 28 or 29. They were younger. Um, and they, I remember when I first got saved, I was at their house. I'm not exaggerating. I was at their house probably four to five times a week. I stayed a lot. Um, I slept over a lot anytime that my family was fighting or, um, my dad was calling me in between his drug deals or whatever it was. And I was upset. I spent the night there. They were, they were my family. You know, they, um, I consider them more family probably than my fam my, my blood family that I have. Um, and I remember the, so if you've ever been to Ohio, the, the theme park in Ohio that everybody goes to is Kings Island. It's pretty cool. And Any uh, Kings Island fan here? The Kings Justin Island? Sergein. Where's Justin yeah, Sergein? He, yeah, he went okay. a few weeks ago. And um, okay. so it's just, it's just theme park with roller coaster and everything. And I didn't have enough money for a pass. Uh, Tyler and Misty bought me a pass because they went a lot with their kids. They had three young kids at the time. And they took me, uh, every family trip they went on to Kings Island, they called me and, and took me. Um, that was, it was just things like, like I went grocery shopping with Misty every week, every single week she would pick me up from school and I would go grocery shopping with her. Um, she, no one in my life obviously had taught me to cook at this point because the only thing we could afford really was like, frozen dinners. We used to have this government aid truck pull up and they would just give us all these nasty frozen dinners. Um, so I didn't know how to cook. I, I didn't know how to do laundry. Like I didn't know how to do these things. And Misty was the one that taught me how to be a woman of God. Like Brit, dress this way, dress modestly. Don't talk like that. This is how you cook. This is how you clean. Like, like necessary things for the human life that everybody should know. Maybe not say the F-bomb in the Don't old lady the Bible F -bomb study. Don't say the F-bomb in the elderly Bible study. <laughs> um, that was all Missy. And uh, I remember thinking, as soon as I got saved, I was at their house. It was like a week later, and they were talking to me about my life change and stuff. And I remember just watching the way that they interacted with each, with each other. And I thought... If this is what Christianity is, then I'm in. Like, if this is what marriage looks like, actually, in Christianity, then I want it. I want this kind of marriage because whatever's been going on in my family clearly does not work. Um, everyone's in, in my family's in jail. My cousins are in jail. Um, but this, their kids listen to them. They obey them. They love them. They love each other. They forgive each other easily. And they do a lot of ministry together. Like, Every time I saw them together, they were doing ministry. They were investing in somebody and discipling someone. So regardless of the fact that the church wasn't necessarily the best, um, their marriage really was what turned me around and why I am who I am. Awesome. Britt, thanks for sharing your testimony. That was awesome. Yep. Great. Thanks. So there's Britt Nelson. At that time, Britt Kelly. Statistic. Should be dead should be in prostitution, should be in jail. Today, she's married. Uh, uh, Mike and Britt are investing heavily in Thomas and Kathy, who are here today. They're gonna be married soon. What takes a person from being on this pathway to just darkness and dysfunction in their lives and moving them to a place of, of much more health and balance and awareness? Jesus gets involved, and there's a marriage that gets involved. And that marriage changes the world one life at a time. So why does marriage matter? 
marriage matters because like any other organization, like a business, like a nonprofit, like a church, like an important small group, marriage becomes this organization of partnership that is a startup that grows together, that's founded on the Bible, that has community investors, uh, that has a commitment of internal and external resources and capital, that starts a new culture. And when all these things happen, it becomes this thing that transforms the world one life at a time. And so I don't know where you guys are today or what level of life you're at, what you're thinking about singleness or marriage, but let me just say this. If you're someone who thinks maybe marriage is for you, the kind of marriage that Jesus wants for you, the kind of marriage that's gonna be ultimately satisfying is the marriage that doesn't exist just for its own self and own sense of self-validation, but it's a marriage that exists to change the world one life at a time. It's the thing we call ministry. We get married to do ministry. God brings two individual disciples together to do ministry together, to start something radical and change the world one life at a time. I wanna invite you to pray with me uh, if you're able. Jesus, uh, I thank you for Britt's story. I thank you for this fun experiment we get to do with Kathy and Thomas and their friends. I thank you for the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Ephesian church. And I thank you for this five-week series that we get to have in Love Songs. Jesus, thank you for this building. Thank you for people. Thank you for all of my friends who are in the room, some who are gonna move towards singleness and find satisfaction in that. Some who are gonna move towards marriage and find satisfaction in that but ultimately they're not satisfied in either arrangement. They're satisfied in those arrangements because they're satisfied in who you are. And so I pray Jesus from this, would you please raise up a generation of people who are satisfied ultimately in you for your glory, for their good, for the good of this city, Orlando, that we wanna reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray, amen. I invite you to stand if you're able. We're gonna sing a song in response and then I'm gonna come back up afterwards and share a few announcements with us.